Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Repeating, we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order! You're out of order! The whole trial is out of order! You have meddled with the primal forces of nature! And you Hey there, I am your mad prophet of the airwaves and welcome to Radio Free Canada News Notes and Opinions from the Underground for Wednesday, December the 14th in the year of our Lord, 2022. Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. 11 more sleeps, Declan. 11 more sleeps. Declan looking forward to unwrapping his toy train set. I'm looking uh, op- uh, op- looking forward to opening up the phone lines. Actually, in the second hour, 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600. The water t- truck came today. Twice, actually. We miscalculated on the amount of water needed for our backyard hockey rink. Two trucks, each containing 5,000 gallons, which is about 20,000 liters. So a total of 40 thousand liters of water all to play a little shinny (laughs) and god willing we're uh we'll be uh, out on the ice playing some 3v3 by christmas 
Just yesterday, I think it was yesterday, I was uh, discussing the Cambridge Dictionary. Having changed the definition of the words men and women or woman to include anyone who simply self-identifies as a man or woman, which of course is delusional. I said that the, uh, the Cambridge Dictionary is a traitor to the truth. I said the Cambridge Dictionary is a traitor to womanhood. And I said it's also dangerous. And it was uh, just a matter of time before someone got hurt. Well, it's, it's happened before. The NHL now is, uh, is a totally woke organization like the Cambridge Dictionary. The NHL is anti-woman and they're trying to erase women which is a disgrace. The NHL believes that a a man who self-identifies as a woman should be allowed to compete against actual women in sports. This is dangerous. It's common sense that it's dangerous. And I said it's a matter of time before a female athlete gets seriously injured by a biological male athlete. Well, it happened. At an NHL-sponsored team trans hockey tournament. A male-to-female transgender ice hockey player left her female-to-male rival concussed during a game that has been identified as an amateur New York athlete. Lexi Seaton, 32, earned a backlash after leaving Danny Mackey Knocked out on the ice when she slammed into him. Well, he slammed into her. Let's be clear. He slammed into her during the uh, the team trans ice hockey draft in Middleton, Wisconsin. This happened late last month. Now, the contact, if you look at the video, it didn't look serious on in the video. The, the, the um, collision didn't look too serious. But the size difference between the man, Lexi Seaton, and the woman, Danny Mackey, the difference in size was so great that the, uh, again, the, uh, the woman suffered a concussion. Seton, who also identifies as bisexual, this is the man, is a member of the New York City Gay uh, Hockey Association and a member of the Rensselaer Rejects amateur hockey team. And his uh, non-binary wife, Jesse, 33, was on the same team playing goalie is a uh, a software developer and IT consultant who has previously lashed out at TERFs, trans-exclusionary radical feminists, including J.K. Rowling. So despite the NHL promoting the Team Trans Hockey Draft Tournament, next to nothing has been published about, uh, about this incident. I found this in the uh, Daily Mail in the UK. So let's hope that the woman, Danny Mackey, who self-identifies as a man, makes a full recovery. Uh, this should never, never, ever should have happened. The NHL sponsored this tournament. The NHL went after fans who objected to this tournament on Twitter. And now this happens. A great big, we told you so. The NHL is a disgrace. Go woke, go broke. Now, I love the Toronto Maple Leafs. But I do not love the NHL. This is simply abuse of women in sports under the guise, under the guise of trans rights. And the NHL should be shunned for this. Biological males say it many times. 
particularly on Thursdays in our In Defense of Women segment, biological males hold an unfair advantage in non-contact sports like track and field and swimming. That's cheating. It shouldn't be allowed. Increasingly, sports organizations around the world are, are seeing the light with regards to this, and they are banning biological men from competing against actual women. But not in Canada. Not in Canada, because we're always behind in this country. Now, in contact sports, that's another matter. Like hockey, in contact sports, forcing women to compete against biological men is abuse. It's abuse. You remember in in, uh, mixed martial arts, Fallon Fox, he started self-identifying as a woman at 30 years of age. And he was the first openly transgender athlete to compete as a woman. Well, we shouldn't to compete against women, despite the dangers of injury to other competitors. And it happened in September 2014. Fox fought Tamika Brents. And within the first two minutes of the match, Fox had fractured Brents skull and gave her a concussion. And Fox, again, a man, biological male, fighting a woman in a mixed martial arts tournament. He continued the brutal assault until the woman, Brents, was knocked out. Brents later said, I have struggled with many women, and I have never felt the strength I felt in a fight like that night. I have never felt so dominated in my life, and I am an abnormally strong woman in my own right. In any other instance, in any other instance, the domination of a woman by a biological male would make her a victim of abuse and injustice. But because Brents was a woman fighting a trans-identifying biological male, the left dismissed her as a sore loser. And today, the NCAA silences its own female athletes. They have to conform to this gender identity ideology of the left. The the NCAA has a transgender handbook in which it dismisses the fears of those who want to protect women's sports as not well-founded. So instead, you have athletic departments and personnel being encouraged to create an inclusive and uh, non-discriminatory climate for their teams. The handbook claims the assumption that a transgender woman competing on a woman's team would have a competitive advantage outside the range of performance and competitive advantage or disadvantage that already exists among female athletes is not supported by the evidence. That's according to the handbook. They're saying it's not supported by the evidence, this advantage. But it doesn't cite any evidence. In fact, its claims are contrary to the evidence. You have a recent study by the British Journal of Medicine that shows that male athletes who are transitioning retain their competitive edge against women even after two years of taking estrogen. Currently, trans-identifying biological males can compete on women's teams in the NCAA and Olympics after only one year of being on estrogen. Ultimately, no amount of cross-sex hormones is enough to undo the fundamental biological differences that exist between males and females. A growing number of women on both sides of the political spectrum are getting fed up. Last August, 309 women wrote a letter to the NCAA urging it to consider the biological realities, the physical dangers of having men compete against women, 
and the implications for fairness in competition. So, again, shame on the NHL. An embarrassment and a disgrace. The NHL is anti-woman. Pure and simple. All right, here's what we have prepared for you today. Open lines in the second hour around 5.54. Sorry, 5.40 p.m. 5.40 p.m. The number to get on board again, 289-275-9600. 289-275-9600. And uh, perhaps you'd like to weigh in on that story. The NHL sponsoring a trans hockey tournament during which a biological male hockey player concussed a biological female hockey player. Like we didn't see that coming. Dan McTagg. President of Canadians for Affordable Energy will be here to discuss yesterday's announcement from the Lawrence Livermore Lab in California about the so-called breakthrough in fusion energy. Not much of a breakthrough in my books. We'll see what Dan has to say. Tom Korsky from Blacklock's Reporter will be here. Also in the second hour with a briefcase full of stories from Ottawa, including Liberal Trade Minister Mary Ng refusing to resign despite getting caught red-handed breaking ethics rules Uh, the ban on hunting rifles has hit a snag thank god in committee in in a parliamentary committee and won't be voted on until april of next year at the earliest that's good news tony heller the founder of realclimatescience.com joins me this hour as we push back against the death cult of climate change now global warming bedwetters are claiming get ready for this rising temperatures could could lead to An ice age. How about that? But first, Andrew Lawton. Andrew Lawton from True North was hoping to get new Twitter CEO Elon Musk's attention over the crime minister's plans to regulate online conduct and speech. And wouldn't you know it, Musk responded. We'll get the details next. The Richard Serrett Show off and running for Wednesday, December the 14th. Facta non verba. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Yesterday, Andrew Lawton, journalism fellow at True North, host of the Andrew Lawton Show, sent out a tweet. Canada's liberal government wants to regulate Internet content and deputize social media companies to enforce hate speech bans with a low and murky threshold for what hate speech is. I hope Elon Musk takes a stand against this. And uh, just before 6 a.m. this morning, Elon Musk responded and tweeted, Sounds like an attempt to muzzle the voice of the people of Canada. Andrew, were you surprised, uh, pleasantly surprised when you received this tweet from uh, Andrew uh, from uh, Elon Musk? A little bit. I have obviously seen Elon Musk be very active on Twitter and respond to all sorts of people. I tagged him in it just in case. I wasn't really expecting anything. And the funny thing was, it was like 15 hours after I posted my tweet that he responded. So I sort of assumed, okay, well, you know, he didn't respond in the first hour, so he's never going to see it. And then I wake up and my phone is like, Uh, just like dinging every three seconds. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And then I I look and realize, oh, Elon Musk has replied to me and now my battery is going to be dead. (laughs) Uh, I I mean, I could only assume, I mean, he's obviously an incredibly bright person and stays on top of the news that he's familiar with what's happening up here in Canada vis-a-vis Bill C-11 and uh, the, the anti-hate speech, the tweaks to the anti-hate speech legislation that I guess is expected sometime when? Next year? 
Well, originally, the Liberals promised it within 100 days of becoming a government again, and they, they've missed that deadline. And normally, I am happy to harp on the Liberals for broken promises, but this is one I, I hope they continue to break, because I think it would be very dangerous legislation. But to your point there about Elon Musk's awareness. It's tough to say. A few weeks ago, I think it was Canada Proud had asked uh, Elon Musk about Bill C-11, and he had said at the time it was the first he had heard of it. So I don't know if he has or people around him have encountered anything more about this in the last few weeks. I don't know if he was just taking my word for it in the tweet or if he's become made aware of this, but he certainly should be because he's now the owner of one of the largest social media companies in the world. It's a very small club. And these are the companies that the liberal government is expecting and demanding will start enforcing the liberal government's definition of line harms. And I think that it's important that these companies, which by and large, I think, have been pushing back against C-11, also push back against these so-called hate speech provisions. Uh, Andrew, we have to take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll uh, continue to discuss Andrew Lawton, host of The Andrew Lawton Show, journalism fellow at True North. Back with more of our conversation right after these. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. Welcome back. Andrew Lawton from True North is here, host of The Andrew Lawton Show. And we're talking about his tweet yesterday. Canada's Liberal government wants to regulate internet content and deputize social media companies to enforce hate speech bans with a low and murky threshold for what hate speech is. I hope Elon Musk takes a stand against this. 15 hours later, Elon Musk tweets back, sounds like an attempt to muzzle the voice of the people of Canada. So, Andrew, do you think, I don't know, the Liberal government should be worried that uh, somehow you have awakened the sleeping giant here? (laughs) Well, I don't know about that. I I think that the Liberals have been dealing with a lot of pushback to C-11. And I don't want to get into legislative bingo here because I know the numbers get confusing, but C-11 is the bill that expands the government's regulatory authority from radio and TV to the internet. And it's being done ostensibly to promote more Canadian content. And I think that there's been enough of a rough ride for the government on C-11. A lot of people haven't been looking at the other internet regulations the Liberals are trying to do. One of them is redefining so-called hate speech. The other is uh, pushing for mandatory takedown of so-called hate speech by social media companies. And I, I think there's a risk that some of these other measures will fly under the radar because there's so much of an emphasis on C-11. And the purpose of my tweet was not just to put it on Elon Musk's radar. Like I said, I, I wasn't really expecting him to respond, but it was to put it on Canadians' radar, that you have have to look at this as being an assault on multiple fronts here right right now youtube has if i'm not mistaken youtube actually kind of campaigned uh, against uh, or is campaigning against bill c11 and um uh i don't i don't know about facebook or or uh, the other social media platforms what about twitter canada where, i mean where are they in all of this have they did they appear before any of these parliamentary committee hearings on on c11 
They did. Twitter's former uh, Canadian spokesperson, I, I don't know her formal, t- form, formal title, Michelle Austin, was quite critical about this. Now, one of the changes that's taken place since Elon Musk took over Twitter is that Twitter Canada uh, really ceases to exist. I, I don't know if they folded the entire office here, but certainly the senior people. So it's actually unclear what Twitter Canada, I mean, if there even is a, a Twitter Canada to speak of, and, and if so, what its relationship with the government will be. I mean, certainly tech companies have been pushing back, and I, I think this is important. And the other one as well is that the government wants social media companies to have to pay news outlets for the privilege of letting those news outlets voluntarily use social media to promote their content. It's quite odd, but we've had the media lobby uh, very aggressively push for a bailout from Facebook. So the government says, okay, we're going to subsidize you, but we're going to force uh, Facebook and Google to pay for that subsidy. That's uh, C-18, I believe, right? Um, yeah, see, you win, you win uh, legislative bingo. <laughs> there you go. Would, would, uh, would Twitter be obliged as well to pay for that content? As I understand it, yeah. And I think, it, you know, in actual fact, Twitter is probably one of the most desired by news outlets. You think of all these reporters that just spend all their day on Twitter uh, tweeting away. And, and that's actually, I think, quite fascinating because they're doing it voluntarily. So Facebook, at one point when Australia was doing a very similar law, Facebook actually banned sharing links to Australian news outlets. And they were doing it as a bit of a protest. And I'm just imagining if Elon Musk were to one day say, okay, if you're demanding we pay to host your content, maybe I ban Andrew Coyne from tweeting. Maybe I ban the Globe and Mail from <laughs> tweeting. I, I think the fear there is that you're going to have all of these people just immediately lose their life's purpose. Well, realistically, I mean, how much sway would, you know, while he was the world's richest man, I guess, until he bought... Uh, um, Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. I don't know, a couple of rock concert tickets, and now he's no longer the, the world's richest man. But um, yeah, he, he got the extra he got the extra whipped cream at Starbucks, and he's no longer the world's <laughs> richest man. There you go. But uh, you know, is is he's a Canadian citizen? His mother, I still I believe, still resides here. He attended university here. I mean, how much sway could he pick up the phone and call the prime minister? Do you think and and have any influence? Uh, it's it's tough to say. I mean, this prime minister and this government have not exactly shown a, a, a ready willingness or eagerness to listen to criticism from people. I, I don't know if Elon Musk is interested in putting on the suit and heading to center block and, and actually sitting down to formally lobby or if he just wants to, uh, you know, say what he has to say on, on Twitter. But I, I do think that Twitter 
is a large company, not as large as Facebook, not as large as Google, but it's a large company. Canada is a relatively small country. And, and well, these companies, generally speaking, want to comply with the regulations and the, the markets in which they operate. At the end of the day, Canada is more akin to a gnat than a behemoth when it strives to, to heap all these regulations. We're not the European Union. We're not the United States. So I, I don't think it's worth the effort to deal with these intricacies of Canadian regulations to a lot of these large tech companies. Although, I mean, he does, I guess he has a bit of a soft spot for Canada, having, you know, uh, attended, lived here for a while. And he has tweeted before about Canada, not favorably, mind you. Um, uh, was it, um, I, I guess, after the the bank accounts of trucker supporters were frozen, he posted a picture of Trudeau next to Hitler or something like that. Yeah, something something to that effect. Uh, he was a big supporter of the uh, the trucker convoy as well. So uh, he certainly pays attention to Canada. But at the same time, I, I don't think that if he, his commitment to free speech is as strong as he's been articulating on Twitter, I don't see how he could direct his company to go along with what the liberals want uh, Twitter to do and, and other tech players to do. Well, let's hope he exerts his considerable influence in this into this matter. Uh, Andrew, how do we watch the Andrew and listen to the Andrew Lawton show? You can head on over to TNC.news, and I actually have a, a Substack newsletter coming out about this very topic in about five minutes. I had to like interrupt my final copy edit just before I was going on, but I'm going to get back to that after this interview, and that'll be coming out uh, any minute now. All right, andrewlawton.substack.com. And, uh, of course, the Freedom Convoy, the inside story of three weeks that shook the world, available wherever fine books are sold and on Amazon. Andrew, thank you yes, so much. Indeed. Merry Christmas. Thanks, Richard. All right. When we come back, the cult of climate change. Tony Heller will be here. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. The Cult of Climate Change on The Richard Serrett Show. All right, welcome back. And uh, not sure what happened to Tony Heller. He's a little tardy today, but uh, perhaps he will join us in a few moments. I wanted to talk to Tony about uh, the global bedwetters now talking about how global warming could lead to a new ice age. <laughs> they just want everything all their way, right? If it's really hot out, that's global warming. If it's really cold out, that's climate change. If an ice age comes, that's global warming. If it doesn't come, that's global warming. All right, we do have Tony Heller, founder of RealClimateScience.com. Hey, Tony, how are you? I'm good, Richard. How about you? Very well, thank you. So, Explain to me how the, uh, as I, I call them, the global warming bedwetters uh, argue that global warming could lead to a new ice age. I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to say that this is a load of uh, a load of hooey, but I'm trying to crawl into their delusional minds and try to figure out how they're arguing for this. What do they say? How do they argue that global warming could lead to a new ice age? Well, for a long time, the story, you know, was that global warming was going to overheat everything and we we're going to burn up. Um, 
you know, that this has been the great fear they've been presenting. And then when it became obvious that that wasn't really going on and there wasn't this tremendous global warming, which they warned about, they changed this. And we started getting cold winters and, and a lot of snow. They changed the story to, well, the global warming is causing it to get cold. Um, and um, it, it, it's just, a, it's a way they've created a theory which can explain anything. If it's hot, it's because of because of global warming. If it's cold, it's because of global warming. Um, and somebody famous said, if a theory can explain everything, it explains nothing. And that's exactly what they're doing. You know, there was that movie about 10 years ago, The Day After Tomorrow. Yes. And that, were, and that was a story about how global warming brought in a new ice age. So this is an idea they've been banting around for a long time, that somehow... Um, global warming was going to cause strange things to happen in the Arctic, and that was going to lead to this tremendous um, cooling, and everybody was going to freeze. Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm looking at this article here, um, GBH News. I'm not sure I'm, that might be Great Britain News. I'm not sure. Uh, according to scientists, they call it a cold blob of water has formed south of Greenland. The blob's origins can be traced to rapidly melting glaciers, which in turn is the consequence of global warming. The blob could impede the flow of the Gulf Stream, which carries warm water north. And if that happens, the temperature in Europe may drop steeply. Hurricanes may become more intense. Sea levels on the east coast of the United States may rise even more rapidly than they are already. Okay, so they're arguing here that the warm weather, the the higher temperatures are melting glaciers this is causing a cold blob of water to form south of greenland that's impeding the gulf stream coming north with warm with warm water does that make any sense no (laughs) i thought you might say that in in uh, about 15 years ago the guardian ran an article claiming they had some secret U.S. military defense report saying that Britain was going to have a Siberian climate by the year 2020. Um, I, I don't think that happens. I don't think it's likely it's going to happen anytime in the near future. Like I said, it's just a way of um, they, they've just got these ad hoc theories where they can explain any weather events um, on global warming. If it's hot out, it's because of global warming. If it's cold out, it's because of global warming. If it's dry, if it's wet, whatever it is, this religious cult will see it as a sign that their prophecies are coming true. But I mean, is there any evidence that the Gulf Stream carrying warm water to the north is being impeded? Well, the Gulf Stream changes quite a bit over time. Um there, there's been theories about thermohaline circulation. Um, Dr. Bill Gray at Colorado State University talked about this a lot, about how you get these cycles of thermohaline circulation in the North Atlantic. It goes through periods where the air is stagnant and it dries out and the salinity increases, which increases the density of the water. And then that dense seawater sinks to the bottom of the sea and changes the patterns. Um, and then you get fresher water near the surface and it just goes through this cycle of 
um, warmer temperatures at the surface of the Atlantic and colder temperatures. It's just cyclical behavior. It doesn't have anything to do with carbon dioxide or greenhouse gases or global warming. It's the same thing the Earth has been doing for many thousands of years. Right. And and I mean, at some point we are going to get another ice age and that has nothing to do with with um, man. Right. It has to do with what the what 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 causes is it sun sunspot activity? What causes an ice an ice age? Well, no one knows for sure. But the most likely theory is that it has to do with changes in the eccentricity of Earth's orbit, planetary alignments, the tilt of the Earth's axis, the wobble of the Earth's axis. Um, depending on where, depending on the eccentricity of Earth's orbit, you know, sometimes the Earth is closer to the sun. For part of the year, the Earth is closer to the sun. Right now, that occurs um, during the winter in the northern hemisphere, and it's farther away from the sun during the summer. And if that reverses, then we get the change of summer gets a few days longer and winter gets a few days shorter and vice versa. And that will tend to produce, you know, ice ages. And also the direction which the Earth is tilted, the Earth's axis is tilted relative to the sun. It's different when the Earth is close to the sun. Well, that's essentially the same thing. But this will, you know, these small sort of changes in the length of summer and winter can have a very significant effect on the temperatures and the accumulation or depletion of ice. But none of that has to do uh, with CO2 in the atmosphere, obviously. So we'll uh, we'll take a quick time out, Tony, come back. I want to talk to you about uh, this big breakthrough announcement supposedly yesterday about uh, fusion energy. And uh, we'll also talk about a recent article in the National Post by Bjorn Lomborg and um, uh, uh, Jordan Peterson saying that we really need to be focused on world hunger and far less focused on climate change. Back with more of The Richard Serrett Show, along with Tony Heller, right right here on Saga 960. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Tony Heller, the founder of RealClimateScience.com. RealClimateScience.com. Tony, yesterday was supposed to be this breakthrough announcement about fusion energy where the um, National Ignition Facility at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory well, it happened last weekend. They apparently achieved something that had never been done before. They got a fusion reaction to produce more energy than was in the laser beams that went into sparking it. And, uh, of course, fusion is where you fuse um, atoms together as opposed to fission, which splits them apart. Fusion is, um, you know, we don't have uh, re- radioactive waste and it's... Um, practically limitless i mean it's that's how the sun is is uh is powered we would love to have fusion uh energy um it uses hydrogen as its fuel that's the most uh common element in the universe it all sounds wonderful tony but what did you make of yesterday's announcement is are we close to fusion energy well i grew up in los almos and um, I, when i was in high school i attended Colloquia at the laboratory, and um, I remember a lot of discussion about fusion energy back then. They they said we were 30 years away from it. So that's kind of the running joke with fusion is that we're always 30 years away from having practical fusion energy. I mean, it's possible that what they did yesterday was somewhat of an advancement. 
but it's nowhere near a usable technology at this point. And, you know, it, it still sounds to me like we're 30 years away from anything useful coming out of this. And, and it's it's always difficult to tell whether these sort of pronouncements are actually legitimate or if it's just propaganda from from an agency which needs to keep their funding coming in. But if it's true, it's certainly a, um, an advancement from where we were before. Well, it's interesting you say whether this is just, you know, um, like propaganda or whatever, because like the World Economic Forum, they're counting on fusion to, uh, to, to, to power our electric vehicles, to power the world according to their Great Reset plans. I mean, if you look at their, their blueprint for the Great Reset, you know, and they want to achieve this by 2030, uh, it's, it's dependent. I mean, the, the, the base power supply is supposed to come from fusion, which is kind of interesting given the timing of this announcement. But you say they're still decades away from, from achieving this. So, you know, we'll never get there by 2030, in other words, right? No, there's not a chance that we'll have commercial fusion power by the year 2030. It's that this is just a very minor breakthrough that they've made. And it's, it's a far cry from something which would be useful as a commercial technology. You know, in, in the 1990s, NASA made a big deal that they'd found life on Mars based on some really, really shoddy evidence. They looked at a meteorite fragment and saw that what they claimed was a fossilized microbe, but in fact, it's just a mineral particle. No no legitimate scientist ever looked at it and believed what they were saying was true. But the point was that NASA needed funding and they needed a good story. So their marketing people just came up with their story and the scientists went along with it. And it's probably the same thing. There may be, it may be true, but a lot, there's always going to be a large component of the fact that they just need to keep their funding coming in. So they need to produce some good news from time to time. Wouldn't it be better uh, to focus on instead of, you know, I mean, yes, let's pursue fusion uh, energy. Uh, as you say, that may, it may be decades and decades before it's feasible. But in the meantime, shouldn't we focus, like create another Manhattan project to focus on? I don't know. Let's see if we can figure out a way to uh, take radioactive waste from a nuclear plant and make it inert or something. I mean, wouldn't that be a better, a better uh uh, way to spend our money and our time? Well, I worked on nuclear waste disposal for the Department of Energy um, a while back. And no, that's that's not really something feasible. But there there are technologies which are which have a lot of promise for new energy sources. I think the most promising one is um, not necessarily hydrogen, but something similar to the generating hydrogen from wind turbines. Um, you know, that the, the, the idea of being able to extract hydrogen from seawater using electricity from wind turbines gets us past the intermittency problem with wind. It's a way to actually store the energy, which we don't have now. And so the, the idea of generating synthetic hydrocarbons or possibly hydrogen from wind power, that's a very realistic prospect which um you know the government would be well would be well advised well actually it's probably best for the government to just stay out of these exactly things. i was gonna say yeah but, but i think i think that's a technology which actually does have um, potential unlike 
when direct electricity coming from winds, which is going, which is guaranteed to be guaranteed to be a dead end. But I think wind power creating synthetic hydrocarbons or hydrogen is is a very realistic possibility for the not too distant future. Tony Heller, founder of RealClimateScience.com. Check it out. Some great videos, some great articles there. RealClimateScience.com. Tony will speak uh, again next week, one more time before Christmas, before we take a break. Thanks so much. Thank you, Richard. All right. Hour two coming our way. Tom Korski, managing editor at Blacklocks Reporter, will be here. Also, Dan McTagg, uh, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, with uh, his thoughts on fusion power. Plus, we'll open up the phone lines towards the tail end of the program, 289-275-9600. Hour two coming your way right after these. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Peter, we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. Parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order. You're out of order. The whole trial is out of order. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Welcome to hour two of the Richard Serrett Show. The Richard Show.com. That's the website for this radio program, therichardserrettshow.com. You can listen to previous episodes on the Listen page dating back to March of 2021. Every single program. Collect all 290 of them. Share them with your friends. You can read more about my cast of regular contributors on the About page. And of course, you can uh, you can send me an email on the Contact page, therichardserrettshow.com. A little bit later... Uh, this hour, we will open the phone lines, 289-275-9600, the number to get on board, 289-275-9600. And uh, Dan McTagg will be here, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy. We'll get his take on uh, yesterday's supposed breakthrough announcement about fusion power from the uh, Lawrence Livermore Laboratory in California. Uh, not much of a breakthrough as far as I can tell. But uh, Dan will uh, maybe, he'll school me and he'll... Uh, have something different to say. All right. One has to wonder, what does it take for a liberal cabinet minister to actually resign? Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. 
call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. You get caught red-handed giving uh, non-tendered contracts to your friends. The ethics commissioner says that's a blatant violation. Whoops, sorry, not going to resign. That's Trade Minister Mary Ng yesterday, just giving the giant middle finger once again to the Canadian people and the ethics commissioner. No repercussions whatsoever. Whoops, sorry. Tom Korski, managing editor at Blacklock's Reporter. Hey, Tom, how you doing? Well, thank you, Richard. So the um, sole source contracts—that's the same as non-tendered, right? She didn't. She didn't. She didn't shop it around. Who can you know? Who can give us a good deal on on um, media consulting? I'll just give it to my friend. That's basically All what your happened. Friend, right? Absolutely. All your friend had to do was pick up the phone. Oh, that was it, <laughs> and you got the contract. And this is uh, not just any friend. This is a CBC TV pundit. Lots of ethics to go around here on this one, Richard. Uh, you are correct under the Conflict of Interest Act. Minister Ng has paid the maximum penalty, which is to apologize. I'm not making that up. That's the case. There have been MPs uh, over the years who have suggested more serious penalties, such as uh, five, six-figure fines, um, or, or suggestions that if you are... Uh, found guilty of an ethics violation, as obviously the minister was, you should have to resign and face your electors in a by-election. That's my personal favorite. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Uh, in this case, though, uh, as we mentioned, lots of ethics to go around because the PAL who gets the, uh, uh, on more than one occasion, the sole-sourced contract, I hope you're sitting down for this one, Richard. She goes, her, her name is Amanda Alvaro. She's president of a company called Pomp and uh, uh, circumstance Public Relations of Toronto. She receives these contracts from more than one Liberal cabinet minister, then goes on CBC TV shows as a pundit to talk about how great the Liberal cabinet is doing. We reported on this two and a half years ago. The producer of the CBC program on which she appears, the news channel program called uh, Power and Politics, he said, and I'm quoting accurately, why would that make her opinion any less valid? <laughs> that I am being paid by cabinet to talk about cabinet without telling CBC viewers, oh, by the way, I'm paid to say this. It's like something out of Russia. No one thought this was odd except the CBC ombudsman said, you guys are kidding, right? Seriously, are you kidding me? And there we are. That's ethics in Ottawa 2022. So uh, again, what was the the amount of this contract? I mean, it wasn't a huge amount. It was twenty what about twenty three thousand dollars? Suit two separate. Yeah, but you deals. know why that's significant? That's not an accident. That, that's not Mary Yang being thrifty. If you go over twenty five, you have to start getting into tendering. You have to post open notice. You have to let other competitors bid. That's called just coming in under the wire. Ah, I see. I see. So could you not just break up that amount? Let's say it's $100,000 you're shoveling over to uh, one of your pals. Could you just break that up into payments of you know four or five, six payments so you're underneath the wire? 
Why, you sure can. It's called contract splitting. Uh, it is also not illegal. <laughs> how can that be? How can that this be? This is how this town runs. This is how this town runs. I, I agree with you. We are, we are the backwater of ethics when it comes to contracting, which is why we spend so much time focusing on contracting. The money and the, the rackets that go on is absolutely stupefying. So the, uh, the ethics commissioner, Mario Dion, says there is simply no excuse for this. And all Mary Ng does is shrug her shoulders and say, sorry, not sorry, really. Sorry. Yes, that was it. Exactly. And not the even last time I saw uh, Amanda Alvaro was still on TV. So it's a win-win for everybody except taxpayers and anyone who cares about the Ten Commandments and ethics in this. <laughs> there you go. Whatever happened to the Ten Commandments, indeed. All right. So a little bit of good news, Tom, Tom that horrible... Uh, Bill C-21, which is going to restrict hunting rifles. It looks like uh, it may never see the light of day, particularly if there's a, a spring election is uh, is being widely rumored. Tell us about what's happening with C-21. Wheels came off the bus and the Public Safety Committee. Serious government overreach on this one. You'll recall, Richard, this was the bill to purportedly introduced last June purportedly to ban new sales of handguns in Canada. A cabinet has subsequently issued uh, ca- uh, executive orders, they're called, that have the same effect. They're open to uh, litigation, by the way. No one has yet, but there's some question as to whether cabinet could do that just by saying so. But what happened with that bill? As I know you've reported, C-21 cabinet <laughs> came in in November in Public Safety Committee with some uh, unbelievably convoluted amendments that had the effect of essentially criminalizing ownership of some pretty common uh, hunting rifles, and including some real antiques. Well, you know who got heat on this? wasn't conservative MPs, because they opposed the bill in the first place. It was the few remaining liberal and New Democrat MPs who come from country districts. And they, uh, there was one MP, a uh, New Democrat, uh, Alistair McGregor from uh, College in BC. He said, I know there were members of my caucus who did not receive a single email letter or phone call on C-21 until cabinet pulled a fast one. Guess what? Now it's half their correspondence. They got into committee. The liberals don't have the votes anymore. Opposition have blocked, uh, locked in, uh, voted in lockstep. And said, you know what, we're going to have hearings, we're going to travel the land, maybe we'll get around to this in the spring. Who knows what could happen? That bill's in serious trouble, Richard. So uh, the chair, McKinnon, um, says we will not likely consider the bill until the start of next fiscal year, which is April 1st, 2023, uh, by which time hopefully we'll be into uh, a spring election campaign uh, it seems as if there are more, uh, I don't know, more fissures in the uh, the relationship between the Liberals and the NDP. And I mean, now they're they're voting against them in committee. Uh, that doesn't bode well for their marriage. Well, they're not getting this bill, and they could they should have known that. Something very similar has happened in years past. Everyone knows. Don't try to pull a fast one on gun legislation. There are people who follow this very closely, and it has hurt. The cabinet in the past, I don't know why they did it this time. It was not smart. And if you don't have the votes, you don't have the votes. And they just don't have them. 
And so they're going to, I, I think this bill is a mess. I, I, don't, I don't think it's even getting out of committee. Let's be frank. When, when conservatives do Democrats and bloc members say, you know, we would like to have, <laughs> we would like to have public hearings in the country. What they mean is to go to places where hunters live so you can spend an eight-hour day listening to hunters talk about how much they don't like cabinet. And then you're going to do it all over again the next day. It, this is going to be a road trip from hell for any member of government caucus, but live and learn. All right. Well, a little bit of good news, I guess. Bill C-21 looks like it's not going to see the light of day. And again, we're talking about banning uh, a rifle or a shotgun Um I mean, when was the last time, a, you know, a deer rifle was used in the commission of a crime? I, I can't imagine. They're not. Yeah, they're not dealing with the smuggling. I, even police chiefs tell them you're not getting on it. That's your problem, and you're not dealing with it. And no one understands why. All right, Tom. We'll uh, take a quick time out. We'll come back. We'll talk about the uh, China election probe and uh, also uh, the uh, the Department of Justice, the Ministry of Justice, finally admitting. That the whole Russia angle in terms of Russia supporting the uh, the convoy was a complete fake. Better late than never, I guess. Tom Korsky, managing editor at Blacklocks Reporter. Please support independent media, blacklocks.ca, blacklocks.ca. Back with more of the Richard Serrett Show right after these. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. All right. Well, surprise, surprise, uh, the, uh, the public... Uh, Order Emergency Commission, the inquiry, uh, actually isn't over yet. I mean, of course, Commissioner Rouleau still has to write his um, submission, his report uh, in February, uh, but it's actually still going on in in some manner. Uh, Tom, tell us about um, the Ministry of Justice and their, um, what do they call these, closing submissions to the commission regarding that whole Russia angle that they were behind, they, they were supporting the convoy. Yeah, final brief submitted by all lawyers for all parties at that commission. This is really the last, uh, the last of it, as you mentioned, before the judge goes to write his report, which must be tabled in Parliament by the 20th of February. Remember that date, February 20th. Department of Justice lawyers, this was a long time coming. It took them really all year to just admit this. It was like hen's teeth. It, they just they, they fought and fought and fought. Finally, an admission, the Kremlin was not involved in the Freedom Convoy. I'm serious. Newsflash. This was a claim that was, it was, it was perpetuated by Cabinet Emergency Preparedness uh, Minister Bill Blair, Public Safety Minister Mendicino, the Prime Minister. Talked about foreign bots, uh, Russian money. Only last month, there was an MP in uh, a parliamentary committee who was hectoring legal counsel for GoFundMe wanting to know how much money came out of Russia. She said, I, I don't know, 50 bucks? Like, what? it was nothing. Uh, of the $25 million they raised, you mean the, the, the vast majority in Canada? They wouldn't let it go. And finally, we see the Department of Justice lawyers, uh, not that they apologize, they say, well, we concede there's no evidence that the Kremlin was involved. It took a long time. Disinformation dies hard, and we've always said, Richard, number one purveyor of disinformation is any government seeking re-election. You can depend on it in this town. Right, right. So they make this uh, admission reluctantly in the closing submission to the commission. Uh, meanwhile, what I mean, during the, the whole media spotlight on the inquiry that we watched every day, uh, were, were any cabinet members uh, asked to 
or or asked about that that Russia angle, and did they deny did or did they admit on the stand that there was no Russia uh, collusion or involvement? Never came up, but it had come up in parliamentary hearings. And you know what? Even the Attorney General, Mr. Lametti, had testified. This was it goes back to some uh, stories uh, that were uh, broadcast on. Oh, wait for it. <laughs> the CBC. Yes. The CBC. Okay. What we were just discussing them five minutes ago about ethics. This was CBC slander. It was innuendo. This is an old reporting device. By the way, we watch like a hawk for this in the newsroom. Most newsrooms do, not the CBC. It's not enough for a reporter to ask a rhetorical question and then report the non-answer. Um, hey, I'm just wondering, did the Russians bankroll the Freedom Convoy? I'm just asking questions. We don't do that. That's a shabby practice in our business. I haven't done it in 41 years. That's not depicting reality. That's manufacturing. That is manufacturing. News right. and slander and innuendo. CBC did it. Cabinet loved it because it gave them cover. Right, right. Yeah, they picked up and they ran with that story. Unbelievable. Well, they finally admitted it in writing. Um, it's hard to believe. Well, nothing's hard to believe with this government, but uh, uh, China election interference going back to 2019 and still cabinet says they don't even know the names, the identities, the parties of the 11 candidates that were influenced by communist China. How is that possible, Tom? It's interesting, Richard. This is why these these allegations and, frankly, uh, blood-curdling testimony has gone on for years. And yet MPs and senators never really get to the bottom of it. And I have to be candid. It's almost like they don't want to. Because if you start pulling the threads, they don't know what where that will go and what will happen next. Here you have... The uh, Commons Committee has been investigating this. Was there interference as reported uh, in the 2019 election by agents of China targeting those 11 candidates? Who are they? Where were they? What are their names? What happened? And it's it becomes a tail-chasing exercise. We've gone through this again and again for years. It doesn't matter what the testimony is. Former federal agent testifying in committee, saying, look it, I have names of people I know, public office holders, including MPs, who have taken money from foreign agents. We have their names. Never any follow-up. Isn't that odd? Mm. <laughs> it's more than odd. It's sickening, quite frankly. All right. Well, listen, Tom, in case I don't speak to you next week, I want to wish you and yours and everyone at uh, Blacklocks, Holly Doan, of course, a very, very Merry Christmas. Thank you for uh, for everything you've done, uh, not only for your readership, but also here on uh, the Richard Serrett Show. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. A very gracious, sir, Richard. A happy Christmas to you and your whole gang. All right. When we come back. Fusion power. Is it still a pipe dream? Dan McTagg, president for Canadians for Affordable Energy, is next. Stay with us. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, welcome back. We're going to speak with Dan McTagg here in a moment, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, regarding that big breakthrough announcement that came down yesterday. Not much of a breakthrough, as far as I can tell, regarding fusion power at the Lawrence Livermore uh, National Laboratory in California. Um, and then 
Next segment, we'll open up the phone lines. 289-275-9600. 289-275-9600. The number to get on board and get it said. All right, Dan, what are your thoughts? The, um, the uh, Lawrence Livermore Laboratory, California, as far as I can tell, basically they got some hydrogen atoms to fuse for a few billionths of a second. They got 20% more energy out of the resulting reaction than they put in via this uh, laser beam. Hardly sounds like a breakthrough to me, or am I, uh, I don't know, misguided. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. I don't think you're misguided. It's been going on for quite some time, and there have been various, uh, you know, uh, stages involved with uh, making this uh, uh, this sort of uh, potential uh, a reality, uh, as as uh, brief as it was. Of course, we're not anywhere near being able to scale up. But you know, we've we've gone through several different uh, versions of this. Uh, I remember uh, as a member of Parliament out in Durham. The pressure for ITER or ITER, some people call it the International Thermal uh, Nuclear Reactor, using the same kind of, uh, you know, policy or same kind of science, fusion versus fission, which is how we've, you know, involved our nuclear industry. Um, and, and there's been experiments over the years. A, a good friend of mine uh, who I grew up with uh, from my days in elementary school and a very close family friend uh, reminded me of what happened way back when in Tokamak, which, of course, was Princeton University's attempt at doing the same thing with its, uh, you know, basically using two, two atoms, smashing them together and creating enormous amount of heat, which then could be generated into steam, which could then be generated into electricity. Now, if we're talking about a slightly different form of science here, then that's you know that's something that was said to have happened in 1989 it was attempt they attempted to replicate it it didn't work so what the 89 2002 so we're talking 35 years ago uh, right that was cold fusion Pons and fleischmann that experiment you're right it was never right. repeated was it yeah and yeah and here they, we are there was 30 years it. later and yeah, and here we are 30 years later, and now they're telling us we're still decades away. <laughs> Look, I think it's a wonderful uh, enterprise, and I, I, I shudder at the thought of the cost, but perhaps in 50 or 100 years, long after I'm gone, my children and their grandchildren, uh, there may be that potential. But we have to be mindful, uh, mindful of the fact that we, as a country and as a world, rely on a diversity of energy options, not just one. So like it or not, you can't make plastic out of electricity. You can't make um, polystyrenes. You can't make cement. Uh, these are things that need to and require different forms of energy uh, with different types of intensity. And so I think it's great 
add it to the list, uh, but let's celebrate all forms of energy as they develop, but recognize that this is really embryonic. This is really not ready for prime time. And like so many things that people you know, we saw the, the announcements, predictable announcements from the White House and from uh, Granholm, the uh, the energy secretary. This is a great breakthrough. This will fight climate change. Look, <laughs> at the end of all of this, uh, these are aspirational things uh, that have not been proven uh, in, in, a, uh, in a very sensible way that uh, provides all of us the energy we need to survive as a, as a civilization, especially on a cold day like today. Right. I mean, I agree. I think it's it's wonderful to think about the possibility of being able to to uh, to power a, a, a huge city with, uh, you know, um, I don't know, like a tablespoon of salt water that you could extract hydrogen from or whatever. Uh, but, you know, that's a pipe dream. A uh, hundred years down the road, as you say, shouldn't we be maybe focusing more on in terms of nuclear and fission, how to address, you know, how can we make radioactive waste uh, inert? Maybe we should make that our Manhattan project. Let's make fission reactors more more safe. I mean, they are pretty safe. They have a great track record. But, you know, there's the issue of the waste. Well, yeah. And look, the waste is not as harmful in 10 years as it was, you know, in 10 minutes after the rods are taken out. Uh, in my old riding in Pickering, uh, those rods are encased in several tons of concrete, and they're sitting on the docks in the front of that uh, of that facility. And that started in 1970. Uh, again, 52 years later, uh, yes, it's an issue. Yes, it may be an inconvenience, but considering what it has done, I mean, I it takes no rhetoric to convince me of how important nuclear energy is. And those who can wish it away or want to wish it away. I explain very solidly to them that, uh, you know, there is no other better way of producing that much energy for such a large population. And Ontario's prosperity, like it or not, was created because of the investments made there. So I'm, I'm very much hopeful on the new technologies that I think are readily at hand, uh, small uh, nuclear modular reactors. I think those are certainly a, a possibility. Um, Look, we're going to develop over the years new technologies, new ideas, uh, and maybe more importantly, building on existing technologies, which like think, for instance, of a gas vehicle, uh, you know, belching out, uh, you know, lots of spewing out a lot of pollution, uh, NOx and socks and sulfur and everything today, you know, that made it with a, a hybrid version. Uh, you know, it takes will will we'll produce uh, basically the amount of energy of one 20th of those cars of just 10, 15 years ago. So I think we need to continue to improve this constant, as I, my old Toyota days when I was working PR there, the constant pursuit of a relentless pursuit of excellence. I think we can do that. But I think we also have to be realistic that uh, these are not things being created or devised to serve a political agenda, which is, of course, about climate change. I mean, as if yeah, <laughs> as if a few taxes or things out there that we can do are going to somehow change the way the world is going. We could do that, by the way. And I know this is a little bit beyond what we want to talk about. Just sell some more natural gas, get some LNG over to China. That'll solve half of your climate problems. I don't think you have to be really crazy about this, but apparently a lot of people are pretty stunned when it comes to these things there, Richard. Well, the takeaway, uh, hydrocarbons are going to be with us and um, much needed and in demand for many, many, many decades to come. Dan, thank you as always. And Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas, Richard. Thanks very much. Happy New Year when it gets here. All right. Dan McTagg, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, affordableenergy.ca, affordableenergy.ca. All right. We'll open up the phone lines. 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600. Your call's next on The Richard Serrett Show. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM.
Welcome back. 289-275-9600. 289-275-9600 to get on board. And uh, let's begin with Dan calling from Waterloo. Hey, Dan, how are you? Hi there, Richard. Doing well. Thanks for letting me call in for this uh, lovely show. And I wanted to address the topic of all this gender ideology and uh, competitiveness in sports and the unfairness of it all. That whole right. business. Before you get into that, Dan, let me just get a quick reaction from you. I, I was mentioning uh, I had to read it in the Daily Mail, a UK newspaper about the NHL sponsoring. I knew they were sponsoring this transgendered hockey tournament uh, and um but nobody seems to be talking about the fact that a uh, a biological male concussed a biological female in that tournament. Uh, it was not intentional, I'm sure. It was just, you know, a collision. Uh, but, the you know, the biological male was just an imposing figure, hit this uh, um, woman and knocked her out on the ice. I mean, like we didn't see this coming. It's happened before in sports. And uh, what do you think of the NHL sponsoring that tournament? Well, it is. Uh, it's telling. It's it's obviously unfortunate that that occurred, and it's unfortunate that our uh, media over here in North America is not uh, reporting that. But uh, yeah, just disgraceful for the NHL, and it, it actually kind of leads into um, what what I wanted to point out with this whole business is, um, and also in one sense, I guess keep this in the back of our brains as we we talk it through. Maybe. One way to accomplish getting to where we want to be is let the other side uh, believe that they've come up with the solution. So here's my crazy idea, and of course I say this in jest, but we got to knock down all the doors. We got to open everything up to everyone. And the easiest way is probably to do that with the young generation, the kids. So next year when, when parents sign up, you know, little Bobby or little Julie for, for soccer or hockey, it's no longer signing up for girls hockey and boys soccer. It's just signing up for soccer or hockey. And everyone's going to get on a team and we're going to see who makes the team and how those games go. And I don't think it's going to take very long for the parents to realize, hey, we got a problem here. Maybe we should do something about it. Maybe we need to divide things up. Maybe we need a girls. Maybe we need a boys league. Maybe we need to do something like that. Oh, yeah, we used to have that. Why did we get rid of it? What happened here? Precisely. No, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Dan. And I think the other solution here and uh, Coach uh, Blade, Linda Blade, who joins us from time to time on Thursdays in our In Defense of Women segment, has suggested this. And uh, my uh, my lovely bride, the mighty Aphrodite, we were talking about this today, Same came up with the same idea. And that is you create an open category. We have a men's category, men competing against biological men, a, a women's category in sports. Women competing that's against right. other that, women, that's and, then idea. Open, and, and, and then you have an open. I, I, I recall you mentioning that on the show before. That 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 is an excellent idea. Yeah, you have an open category. So if you're a, a man who identifies as a woman and you want to compete in the open category, and you're a and, a, uh, and you're a woman, uh, and maybe you want to you want to compete against other men, you know, sign a release if it's contact sport. Uh, but you have an open category and. Uh, problem solved just like with uh, washrooms you have a male a men's washroom a women's washroom and you have a unisex washroom problem solved that's right and the use of the word open just reminded me of something um it, it's good for us all to have an open mind but of course we don't want to let it get too open such that our brain falls out i think we all need to keep that in mind too there you go dan from waterloo thank you so much dan if i don't talk to you before have a merry christmas merry christmas indeed thank you richard 
All right. 289-275-9600. 289-275-9600. The number to get on board. And uh, we'll get to more of your calls right after these. Stay with us. Are you looking for a way to make a difference in your business? Check out your local Board of Trade or Chamber of Commerce. These community-based business organizations are positioned to help your business in many ways. They are the voice of business that advocate for you every day at all levels of government. They give you access to business associates, government officials, and a host of programs designed to boost your bottom line. For more information, call the Mississauga Board of Trade at 905-273-6151 or visit online at www.mbot.com. Govia Homeo Care has been a trusted provider of homeopathic care for over 20 years. Any age group from children to old aged and from new diseases to the old ones like allergy, asthma, hair loss, skin disorders, headache and migraine, male and female health issues, digestive disorders and piles, mental health issues, heart problems, or for any acute or chronic diseases. Call 647-760-2779 or visit Govia Homeo Care Dot com for more information. Gavia Homeo Care. Healthy lifestyle starts here. Wanna bet? You can do it at Sports Interaction Canada's sports book. Bet pregame, live in play, or on one of our many prop bets. Made for Canadians by Canadians. Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash raw. That's sportsinteraction.com slash raw. Ontario only, 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Imagine having over 100 TV multi-language channels at your fingertips. Imagine having over 100 multi-language radio stations at your fingertips. Now, imagine an app that lets you watch or listen to all of this amazing entertainment whenever or wherever you want. Now, imagine it's all free. eBaba is the reality in mobile entertainment. Download eBaba for iOS or Android. Turn imagination into reality. Adibaba. Let's rejoin the conversation on the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right, welcome back. 289-275-9600, the uh, number to get on board. 289-275-9600. And uh, just a moment here, I'm going to bring my uh, my fine feathered friend, I don't know why I said that. Jacob Goldback will be here. Uh, we'll be on. Uh, we'll talk. We'll do a little leaf talk. But I, I wanted to mention this, and we'll have to get. To the, we'll try to get Coach Blade, Linda Blade, on tomorrow from Cosbar to discuss this. Skate Canada um, announced yesterday they are uh, changing the ice dance and pairs rules to allow any two skaters to compete together at domestic events. Skates Canada has updated its policy so that ice dance or pair teams, pairs teams competing domestically can be composed of any two athletes. Canada's governing body of figure skating announced Tuesday its definition of team for athletes training in the podium pathway will be revised to consisting of two skaters. The previous definition was one woman and one man. Skate Canada said in a tweet, there are no new event categories and any team can enter the pair or ice dance discipline at any Skate Canada domestic event. 
By updating the definition of team, many individuals in the figure skating community in Canada will have new opportunities to embrace the sport. Yeah, in other words, take a position from a woman. Anti-woman, erasing women. And you'll notice they said domestic events. That's because the rest of the world is going in the opposite direction. The rest of the world is finally waking up, coming to their senses, and uh, banning biological males. I realize this is not quite the same situation, but they are banning biological males from competing at the Olympic level, anyway, in women's sports. But not here in Canada. Ridiculously woke and anti-science. And here we have Skate Canada. So pairs will no longer mean necessarily a man and a woman. So positions will be taken from women. Anti-women. Sports Canada and Skate Canada. Disgraceful. All right. 289-275-9600. 289-275-9600. Jacob Goldback, my technical producer, and also the co-host of The Swing Heard Mondays at 7 p.m. right here on the Mighty Saga 960. Now, Jacob, I say this fully aware that by saying it, I may uh, I may curse my our beloved Maple Leafs. And, and I'm also, of course, setting myself up for a huge disappointment. But I would have I have to say it's been a while since we talked about the Leafs. In fact, I think the last time we talked about them, I said, I think the Leafs need a new system. And we even talked about replacing the coach with Barry Trotz. Wow, what a difference 20 games make. I mean, they are playing with such intensity. They are dominating, playing such a tight defensive game. I have never seen the Leafs play with, with this, this kind of skill and tenaciousness and, and, uh, and dominate the way they are right now. Your thoughts? Boy, the things that good goaltending can do to a locker room. I think that what we're seeing in the net right now is is kind of what like what we were expecting, at least what I was expecting Jack Campbell and uh, and Peter Morazic last year to be like Matt Murray and Ilias Samsonov since returning from injury have both been absolutely unbelievable. And I think the team uh, we're seeing a newfound confidence now because the team knows they don't have to play absolutely perfect hockey in front of their two netminders. They're going to be able to bail them out every once in a while. So we see the team play a more free uh, hockey. Um, we, th- th- they just look like they're having a ton of fun out there. But that, that being said, you're right. They're doing a lot of, uh, of, of the nitty gritty that maybe the teams in the past haven't done. All, what they've done all season long, aside from that brief stretch of time where you and I were talking about Barry Trotz coming to Toronto, they have found ways to win, whether it be by good goaltending. Uh, the special teams have been great this year. They are finding ways to win, and and this team has just gotten it done all year long. They're making. They're not making big mistakes either. They're avoiding the mistakes. Uh, you know, Justin Hall is not coughing up the puck. You know, with a with a an errant clearing pass in the dying seconds of the game to snatch um, a victory from the jaws of defeat, or rather the other way around. Um, Here's a question for you. If, and when Morgan Riley comes back, you know, is there a, is there a spot on the roster for this guy? I mean, the defense is just playing incredible. It is, but you know, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. None of the guys that, 
as, as good as Mark Giordano and, and Justin Hall and, and company have been, no one is is logging the mil- the minutes that Morgan Riley is able to eat up on the back end. He's still the best defenseman on the team. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, with Riley on the shelf, uh, as well as Muzzin, who knows when he's going to be back, it just makes the fact that the defense is playing as well as they are, it, it, it makes it that much more impressive because you're missing a guy who's not only very, very talented, but he's able to log an, an immense amount of minutes, which a guy like Mark Giordano hasn't done in years due to his age. And Justin Hall never really has been put in that spot. Everyone on the back end has stepped up. And how about the new addition, Timmons? Um, uh, what was it? Three points the other night yeah, and four three games. assists. Three assists, right? I mean, what a nice addition. He his crisp passes are really impressing me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's always been uh, he's always been a capable defense. When you go back to his days uh, in the OHL, and he was a high scoring defenseman. He's he's always had the playmaking ability. Uh, with him, the main issue was health. And now due to some other health injuries on the team, Morgan Riley, Jordy Ben hurt too, Jake Muslin, Victor, I mean, really everyone is hurt. He's gotten a chance to step in and, and he's done great things. He's a young right-handed defenseman. They've been looking for one of those for years with Timothy Lilligren, you know, maybe not taking the step forward that the organization would have hoped. And, and Timmons has really filled out the role really well so far. I don't know if we're going to really ever get to see him play uh, top four minutes, especially as as a guy like Riley, hopefully comes back, you know, relatively soonish. But uh, Timmons, yeah, obviously a great sign, getting three assists yesterday. Let's hope he can build off of that going forward. And finally, quickly, the Mitch Marner uh, streak now twenty three games, uh, 30, 30 games is um, uh, Sid the kid's record, right? That's uh, I mean Gretzky set the the, the all time record, I think fifty games. He, I don't think he's going to touch that, but. Uh, um, what does he would need to do just to keep that train rolling? Oh, man. I mean, he's just playing so well on both ends of the ice. Uh, I think that's the thing that's really been overlooked with Marner is, is how strong he continues to be on the penalty kill and defensively as well. And what we've seen a newfound, you know, him and Austin Matthews really clicked over the last few years, but it wasn't really working this year. And ever since Keith has moved Marner and Tavares together, both of their games have gone to the absolute next level. I think as you know, they continue to play together, they continue to build chemistry together. We'll only see both of them getting better and better. Yeah. I mean, Marner has just taken his game to another level. I mean, he's just dominating. It's just so exciting to watch. The Leafs are exciting to watch. And I'm, I'm just, I couldn't be more thrilled. Of course, Thursday against uh, the Rangers and then uh, Saturday against the Capitals. So uh, we'll see if Marner can keep the streak going and if the Leafs can keep their consecutive game point streak going. What is it, 14 games at, uh, with a point? I believe. All right. Uh, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Declan, and Jacob. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again, God willing. I'll speak with you at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? 
President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.